What a blessing to be gathered together today. Thank you so much for being here. Take your Bibles and turn to Jonah chapter 4 as we come to the end of our time with this miserable missionary we've come to know as Jonah. A pitiful prophet, a piece of work. You saw it on display in that text we just read. It's so easy for me, probably for you too, when you see the disciples blowing it or you see Israel blowing it in the Old Testament, you're like, oh, come on, guys. Come on. You should do better than this. You should know better than this. And I just can't help but wonder how many times if somebody read the story of my life, they would go, oh, come on, Chad. Come on, you know better than this. You can do better. If you're just joining us this morning, um, this is the final uh, in our series in Jonah, subtitled Salvation Belongs to the Lord. We talked about if uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime got a hold of the story of Jonah and we're making it into an episodic adventure. There's, there's probably seven episodes in Jonah's life. There's Jonah's call in Jonah chapter number one and his disobedience. The Lord calls him, tells him to go to Nineveh, and he just goes the other way. He doesn't, he doesn't say no, he just lives out a no. His heart kind of <laughs> takes over his feet. A and then there's Jonah and the pagan sailors on the ship in the sea with the storm. There's Jonah's grateful, self-assessing prayer that happens where? In the belly of the fish, whale, monster, whatever, right? In the belly of this great sea fish. Wow. He does some decent praying there. And then there's Jonah's recommissioning and obedience. That's in chapter 3. We hit that last week. There's Jonah and Nineveh. Wow. The greatest evangelistic event in all of Scripture where the whole city comes to acknowledge that the Lord is God and it happens in the Old Testament. That's remarkable, right? That's remarkable. And now the final episode, it's, well, the final two episodes, rather, Jonah's angry, selfish prayer and Jonah's education on compassion. Seven episodes in the life of this small book. If this book had ended in chapter three, history would have portrayed Jonah as an incredible preacher, one of the greatest, actually. But it didn't end in chapter three, and he's not one of the greatest. It just didn't work out that way for him. If he were alive today, though, I'm convinced, and I'm, I'm speaking mostly to those of you who have been in a Christian for a long time, maybe you've attended a Christian conference or a, a Christian event, you've gotten a flyer to go attend something. I'm convinced if Jonah were alive today, even though his heart is far from God and he's rebellious at his core, we see that play out the most in chapter 4, we would put him on a plane in first class and fly him all over the globe to teach a class on how to change a city. You know why? Because we are a results-driven culture. And we look at metrics, and metrics are what matters most in this culture in which we live. As long as people are coming to Jesus, we don't care really about the character of the one leading. And we say we do, but if you watch the way we're all shocked Whenever a preacher falls, we watch when we're all shocked whenever somebody who's an egomaniac on stage and, and we hear rumors of stories and the way they treat staff and we see them fall and we're like, but so many people were coming to Jesus. How could anything be wrong with that? 
Well, it just points to the fact that results oftentimes blind us from what matters most. And our motives matter. God is more interested, I'll say this again later, in your holiness than in your happiness. And God is more interested in the heart of the preacher than the ministry of the preacher. God looks on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Bible says, The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward things, but God looks on the heart. In the New Testament, Paul would talk about the Corinthian church and bring their attention to this fact. God brings to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. That shouldn't scare you. That's just who God is. It should strike a fear, uh, strike a chord of holy, reverent fear, though. In Luke 15, Jesus shares a series of parables to the crowd gathered around him. He's also addressing, if you go back to the beginning of Luke 15, you'll see who he's actually talking to. Context is a beautiful thing, right? You, you read the story of the prodigal son and you think the story of the prodigal son is all about the father and the two sons, and it is, and the prodigal's kind of the main attraction. But can I submit to you that if you really study the context and look at Luke 15, the point that Jesus makes, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm not even teaching this. I, this is going to take, y'all forget this when I come to Luke 15 later and go, ah, when I say it in a sermon, okay? But the point of, of Luke 15, Jesus is talking to the grumbling scribes and Pharisees. The elder brother is who he's using to get their attention. Because God was at work in the heart of the father. God was at work in the heart of the son coming back. But the elder brother's over there like this, Right? looking like he just had some of Aunt B's pickles. And he's over there, three of y'all got that, no? Okay. Tastes like kerosene? Okay. So, so he's, he's back over to the side and, and he's, ah, I didn't do anything wrong. That's the, that's the heart of the grumblers. Jesus is addressing them. Let me talk about the, the, the account we refer to as the prodigal son though. In chapter one, Jonah is like the prodigal. He, he wants to tear away from everything from where he should be and he heads down the road to destruction to, to live life on his own terms, going his own way and doing his own thing. And in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah becomes the elder brother. Jonah sounds a great deal like the elder brother here. He has a critical spirit. He is self-absorbed and he's angry at the good fortune of others. The list could go on. I'd love to tell you I came to that conclusion myself, but I've done a lot of reading. God's been so good to us to give us this account of Jonah intact. Jonah preached in chapter 3 a very simple message. As far as we know, all he said was what in Scripture. Did he say more? As far as we know, all he said was what in Scripture. Not a great homiletical masterpiece. Don't know if you would have come back for a second Sunday after Jonah was the guest preacher. Let's just acknowledge that. Jonah said essentially, yet 40 days and God's going to destroy the city. But God had been at work in the heart of the Ninevites. They were confronted with the truth that their sin and their way was leading toward destruction. And they knew there was a God in heaven to acknowledge. They repented and the whole city came to God. And what, where do we find Jonah in chapter 4? Moving out from the city, laying down before the Lord to worship and say, thank you, Lord. 
having a wonderful worship party and celebrating and saying, wow, Lord, you were right, I was wrong, this is awesome, you're amazing. No. Jonah prays. But he prays a selfish, angry prayer. If you're taking notes this morning, that's a hint. It's a nice way to say you should take notes this morning. Jonah prays. I would write down number one. Jonah prays. Jonah 4, 1 through 4. And if you want to add to that Jonah prays, you could say selfish, angry prayer. Let's look at verse 1. It's a, it's a startling verse. After all that God's just done, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Wait, what displeased Jonah? That the Ninevites were spared? That displeased Jonah? That that God had shown mercy and grace? That displeased Jonah? That they had heard God's message from his prophet and they had repented? This displeased Jonah? That, That he came to Nineveh in the first place? Yes, 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 and yes. Jonah was ticked off. All of this bothered him. You see, anger is the emotion that we feel when our expectations of justice are not met. Anger is the emotion we feel when our expectations of justice are not met. One writer says it this way, anger fuels almost everything ugly in our culture. Everything ugly, cursing and profanity fueled by anger. Envy, vengeance, isolation, from domestic violence on one hand to domestic terrorism on the other, from leaving a church and trying to destroy everything on the way out to starting a cult so you can have angst with your brothers and sisters at anything that moves. Anger fuels ugliness. Of all of the commands that most of us fail the quickest at, This one gets most of us in trouble from Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry. Most of us wish there was a period there. At least we live that way. Not you all, but you know people, right? This is their life verse is be angry, period, right? That's their t-shirt they wear. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Proverbs 27, 4. Wrath is cruel. Anger is cruel is overwhelming. It's not often I quote Aristotle. He's rarely on the tip of my tongue, but he had a good one. He says, anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that's not easy. I'll even go so far as to say, I think it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. Most of us are not good at righteous anger. We think we are, but our behavior betrays us. Jonah was angry. He was hot with anger. Does anybody remember when we were in Nehemiah and we had fun with that word that meant anger? It's the word, that's the way you say it in Hebrew. It's like, like if you walked in a room, I'm I'm thinking I'd see Sarah Louise there, and if I walked in a room and, and Princess Vivian was sitting there with her arms crossed, and I said, Vivian, how's your day today? And she went, I'd be like, okay, and I'm backing out, Miss Sarah Louise? I've never seen her do that, by the way. I can't imagine that she would. But you know something's out of character. Jonah is exceedingly angry. The words used there in the Hebrew speak of he thinks evil has happened. Watch this. 
He's so mad at God because God did it differently than he thought he should. Jonah's anger messed with his mind. He, he didn't know right from wrong. He couldn't see it clearly. His anger clouded what was just and unjust in his mind. His anger clouded where mercy and wrath belong. Unrighteous anger can do that. Listen to me. Listen to me, church family, brothers and sisters. Don't get gripped and controlled by unrighteous anger. Our culture thrives on it. News medias thrive on stoking that fire. That's how they sell ads, with sensationalism. They keep you at a boil all the time, angry about everything, telling you, ah, you, uh, you know, you can, uh, that's what ought to be the little thing in the feeder on the bottom of the news thing, just that word running all around. Are you angry yet? Are you mad yet? God help us. We, we can do better. We've got the Holy Spirit in us. We ought to, we ought to do better, live differently. Listen to me. Is it possible to have righteous anger? Yes, but can we take note for a moment? The Bible, as far as I can see, records one that did it well. One. 66 books, and he was the Son of God. Just, I, I see a, another friend that uh, works at an incredible ministry whose job, 24 hours a day, is to, is to propagate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ around the globe to anybody that will hear or read. One day I was in there and, and was talking with a friend who now still serves that ministry as a chaplain and, and um, Preston asked me a question upstairs in his office and, and I responded with a question. Now Preston was the executive vice president and I was the not executive vice president, right? But he asked me a question and I said, I answered his question with a question. He said, jokingly, he said, don't answer my question with a question. I said, Jesus did. To which he took his glasses off and he said, you're not Jesus. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. So when you think you can handle righteous anger, well, remember, you're not Jesus. Jesus did handle it well, though. He went into the temple courts and cleansed them. Why? Because he, his expectation of justice was unmet. He expected the people of God to follow God's word in God's house. And God said that his house would be marked by this, watch this, as a house of prayer for all nations. And so when Jesus came in and they were doing everything but, they were even making merchandise and marking things up. They had turned it into a marketplace for gain, not service for those in need. He was angry and he displayed it. Righteous anger can be instructive, but unrighteous anger is always destructive. Always. So ask yourself, is this anger I'm having righteous or unrighteous? Well, if it's like Jonah's, it's destructive. He wanted Nineveh destroyed. He even wanted God to take his own life. Is the anger that we're experiencing at any given point righteous or unrighteous? Run it through the Bible. Put your Bible glasses on and look at God's word and see. Jonah then prays. He complains to God. This is not a lament. There's a good way to complain to God. You see it in the Psalms of lament, to pour your heart out to God, but still acknowledging that God is in charge. That's not what happens here with Jonah. Jonah prays in verse 2. Look with me, please. Verse 2, and he prayed and said to the Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Let's wait a minute. Verse 2. Like, I, I split that verse in half on the screen for a reason because you read this. If I just put this on the screen, you'd be like, man, what a great verse. I, I'm so glad that's all throughout Scripture. Jonah's saying this and complaining about it. Have you processed that? He's mad because God is gracious. What? Yeah. He, he's not angry at sinners for dishonoring the Lord like the psalmists were. He, he's not angry because someone has perverted the truth into a lie. He, he's not angry because he thinks um, these people have done a great sin. He's angry because he thinks God got it wrong. Now, I know when we first read the passage, it was almost, it's almost hard to read and comprehend. It's so far from us, 800 years before Christ. I mean, it's so far back, and we're like, man, this guy's, uh, this guy's nuts. Who, who thinks like this? I, but I don't know if it's happening with you as it happened with me. The more I study this, the more I'm thinking, oh, 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 oh. how do I act when I don't get my way? Don't, don't worry, it gets worse. I'll encourage you a little bit later, but just hang with me for a minute. Jonah takes issue with God's character. He, gracious? Uh, he, he didn't like that God was gracious with anyone outside of Israel. God? Gracious God? He's God? Jonah thought that Jonah's plan for the people was better than God's plan for the people. Merciful? Jonah didn't want God to hold back his wrath. It's what they deserved. Slow to anger? No, no, God, do it now. Do it right now. Do it now, Lord. Abounding in steadfast love? Nope. Yeah, that's fine as long as it's just for us. Relenting in disaster, relenting from disaster? No, no, I was hoping you would come around to my way of thinking, God. Brother Warren Rearsby wrote, well, that's hard to say, Warren Rearsby wrote I should have written that differently Jonah prayed his best prayer from the belly of a fish and his worst prayer from what should have been his best place where God was working in Nineveh verse 3 Jonah says now Lord take my life from me it's better for me to die than to live we said in chapter 1 Jonah would rather die than obey God and here he is he would rather die than not get his way. Unrighteous anger, unmet, unbiblical expectations can make you think life with God is not worth living. Instead of saying, I'm angry, I'm angry about this, but God, you're perfect. I'm angry, but your ways are just and right. Lord, you're in charge. You, you, you do what pleases you. What's going on with me, God? Why am I so angry about this? And, and maybe, maybe calling to mind Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there's anything grievous in me and, and, and lead me in the way everlasting. Does Jonah do that? No, no. Jonah throws a tantrum, crosses his arms, and says, if I can't have it my way, I don't even want to be here. How do you respond when things don't go your way? 
When you feel like you've checked all the boxes that God requires of you, you're faithful in this, you're faithful in that, you're doing all this, you're doing all that, all the boxes, but God moves either at a different pace or in a different way than you think he should. You see, you've written something in your mind, and that and that alone equals justice in your mind. And when God moves differently, how do you respond? It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be sad, and it's okay to recognize that you may not fully understand all that's at play. But I want to tell you this morning as your pastor, guests, you're being with us this morning, please allow me to warn you with the love that I have for each of you. Be careful with your anger at God. The wide, range, the wide range of emotions we can experience when things don't go the way we want, we, we tend to have a pity party for ourselves. And if we stay at that party too long, that leads to depression. And, and if we stay in depression too long, that can lead to despondency where we, we check out mentally and emotionally from relationships. And, and we move from despondency to despair where we can't see anything good anywhere, any of the time. And from despair like Jonah, we start to nurse a death wish. God, it would just be better if I were dead. Listen to me. Hear me, Grace Covenant Church. That is never a solution. That doesn't solve anything, ever. It's never a solution. God gives us the Holy Spirit to stop us in our tracks. We could say like the psalmist did, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. But Jonah has spiraled. His heart is still in the no position. You've heard the illustration before of the dad. It's been told different ways. I'll tell it this way. The dad whose kid keeps getting up on the bus. The dad says to the son, he says, son, stop getting up. He keeps getting up. Stop getting up. He keeps getting up. Then something in the dad's tone changes. I don't know if he grabs his arm, whatever, and he says, I don't know what it was. But he says something, and the boy gets it. But the boy sits like this, sitting down. And the dad says, are you okay? He says, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> right? We all think that's cute unless it's, if it's somebody else's kid and because it's an illustration. That's Jonah. Jonah went and did what he was told to do, but in his heart, he still had a posture of rebellion. What's in his heart eventually comes out. The Bible tells us, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, don't be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. The psalmist David says, let my words in my mouth, let what I'm meditating on in my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How does God respond to Jonah's death wish? Does he go right there? No, he gets to the heart of the matter. He says, do you do well to be angry? Verse four, is it right for you to be angry with me? Jonah, you know better. What are you doing? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways like mine. As, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts are higher than yours. I'm the Lord all by myself. God does not grant Jonah's request to immediately die. 
He asked Jonah a question that gets to the heart of the matter. So how does Jonah respond to God asking him this question? Point number two, Jonah pouts. Don't worry, two and three move quickly. Jonah pouts. Jonah four, five. You're like, is this really for adults? Did you really put pouts in the thing for adults? Yes, I did. Because I've been around church folk some. I've been a Christian long enough to see church folk do crazy things. Can I get a witness? Is it just me? Okay. Adults may not do this. Although some of us could. I see some interesting pictures on selfies with lips. I don't understand. (laughs) Adults may not do that. But I've seen adults say like, well, if they're not going to do it my way, they're not getting another dollar from me. That's pouting. That's also disobedience. If they're not going to do it my way, I'm not showing up for... That's pouting. That's disobedience. If they're not going to do it my way, I'm going to... Your way. That's not a democracy. This is God's church. He's in charge. Jonah is still in a state of self-absorbed disillusionment. He finds a place to sit. And even after God has confronted him in his anger, calling his attention to it, he sits, and the Bible says his posture there is to see if God will change his mind and wipe him out. He's not sitting to contemplate his mortality. He's sitting to hope that God will change his mind still. My word. Do you do that? We're all tempted to pout when things don't go our way. We can wake up every morning with a groan about everything that's wrong and walk around with this thing like, well, of course this happened to me. Of course this happened to me. Of course this happened. This always happens to me. You're not that important. All of the world's not conspiring against you. Promise. It's your perspective that's warped. You've got some things you need to work out with God. Your life is not even all about you anyway. It's all about Him. You see, when you walk around with a heavenly perspective in step with the Spirit, you wake up when things don't go your way and quote Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, even when they aren't what we asked for, all things. Even when it's a hard no from God, and we checked all the boxes, and in our mind it should be a yes, all things. Even when key relationships are compromised, all things. Remember, when you are tempted to respond to the invitation to your own pity party, you can send a no and quote all things. The Lord said, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Jonah forgot that. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. God's purpose in using Jonah was not for Jonah's pleasure. It was for God's glory among the nations. Jonah pouts, and then God flips the script again. I'm telling you, I know you know the story. You've heard it a lot, but you read it, and you're like, yeah, this is for me. Okay, yeah, Jonah goes up, pouts, and then God, and the chapter ends kind of weird. But if you were reading this, like if this were in your hands, and you were savoring every chapter, you're going, I wonder what's next. Like if you had to turn the page to what's next, when Jonah's pouting by the holy God that created everything that could wipe him out in a second, and he's still pouting after God's dealt with him mercifully. You're like, (laughs) boy, is he in for it. What's he in for? Here's the next point. It blows my mind. God appoints. Now, there's several things God appoints here, so I just left the point that way, but God appoints. What does God do? What does God do? God is rich in mercy and grace. Do you know what God does? In verse 6, the Bible says God sins. He appoints a special plant to give Jonah relief from his anger. 
Now, there's a little bit of humor in this, in the way this is written, right? Jonah is hot and bothered and ready to die, and the Lord says, he probably just needs some shade. Like, Jonah's got so many issues, he's got subscriptions. But, but Jonah's got all kinds of stuff going on, and God's like, oh, let's give him some shade. Maybe that'll help him feel better. You've got to love some of the irony and the humor hidden in this masterful writing in Jonah. God displays his grace. Is that what you thought would happen next if you were reading this story one morsel at a time? But that's the way our God works. You and I don't deserve grace. We act like kids sometimes. We pout when things don't go our way. We are like, but I said, and I've been praying, and I've been fasting, and I've been giving, and I'm bad. God owes me, and it doesn't go that way because we haven't heard ourselves talk, and then we're like, <laughs> as adults, I might be worshiping on the outside, but I'm pouting on the inside, and God gives grace and mercy and doesn't strike us in our path. God is so good. He's so tender when we, when we need it most. He's tender with Jonah. He, he, he provided some things. That word appoint, it, it doesn't mean like, um, I'm trying to think of the best illustration. College classroom, uh, a plenary college where you've got the professor down front and 150 students in the room for the lecture, okay? That's different than the one-on-one -on -one with the tutor, Right, So the, the, the professor gives the instruction, and that's what's required, but, but a tutor knows the student, knows how the student learns, and gets in there. Am I, am I right, Esther? I'm tracking right. Knows the student's not going to respond to that. The student responds to this. That, that tutor, that, uh, that homeschooling mom, that mom at home helping with the homework, dad as well, you know what the kid needs to get the lesson. That's what this word appointment means in the original language. The word is mana. It, it, it's, a, it's this in specific instruction for the moment. It's intentional. It's precise. And it was used when God sent the fish. And it was used when God sent the plant. And it's used also when God sends a worm and a wind. He appointed the plant. He sent a good gift a plant of some kind to bring Jonah comfort, to ease his burden and release his anger a little bit. Jonah is angry at God for the very thing he praised God for earlier and is angry with God about earlier. Because God sending the plant demonstrates that God is gracious, that he's rich in mercy, that he's slow to anger, that he abounds in steadfast love, and that he's long-suffering with stubborn kids. He, he pours out his love on Jonah when Jonah didn't deserve it. Can I remind you, every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father in heaven. Second Peter tells us God has given us everything we need to have a right relationship and living relationship and effective ministry that glorifies God. God takes care of us even when we're not in a good headspace. That's the kind of God we serve. Jonah's countenance changed. When the plant comes, you find out in the last few verses here, everything suddenly seemed okay. He gets a little shade. God was right. He just needed a little shade. What does that tell us about him? His whole countenance changed. This is going to sting a little bit. Because he got comfortable. And I'm afraid for too many of us, our spiritual temperature is directly connected to our comfort. 
when things are going well, whew, we're on fire for Jesus. But when our creature comforts begin to be threatened, we're ready to throw in the towel. There's a danger. Can I ask you to do a little self-inventory on your prayer life? Because if our prayers are mostly centered around our comfort, that's not a healthy place to stay. God is not our cosmic bellhop to do our bidding for stuff. God is more interested, I said it earlier, than our, in our holiness than our happiness. Uh, John Piper says, we are most satisfied when he is most glorified in our lives. God appointed that plant, but God also sent a worm, and he sent a wind. The worm destroyed the plant, and the scorching east wind made Jonah faint. How does Jonah respond? For time's sake, let me just give you the summary. Jonah says, let me die. Because things weren't going the way he had hoped, he was ready to get out of the deal. In chapter 1, we see the prophet who'd rather die than obey God. Now we see a man who wants to die because he didn't get what he wanted. Literally, he wants to die because he's uncomfortable. God responds, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah claps back at God. Do you see this? Are you serious? God's like, are you serious? You're upset about the plant? And Jonah's like, yes, I am. He's not sitting down on the outside anymore. He's standing back up. He's got his jaw clenched and his fists are tight. And he's pointing his finger in God. And he's saying, I am angry. I'm angry enough to die about this. And God says, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a day. Listen to me. God calls Jonah on his, here's the word, idolatry. That's what's happening here. In Jonah's mind, Jonah's way was better than God's. Jonah's timing was better than God's. Jonah's will mattered more than God's will mattered. Jonah's cry was not your will, but mine, O Lord. If we get trapped into thinking that our life would not be worth living unless we get this or that from God, we're in a dangerous place. A dangerous place. We look at Jonah saying his life is not worth living because a plant has died. I hope he never comes to our house. We can kill a plant faster than anybody in this room. If you're like, we just can't kill this plant, give it to me. I'll put it down for you. Not even trying to. Jonah is like, I just want to die. Shade is gone. It's the worst day ever. A whole city got saved. I didn't want them to. Now this plant's gone. I mean, what else is going to happen? How ridiculous. Right? How ridiculous that a little shade is worth dying over. How ridiculous that for Jonah not to get his way, he thinks life is not worth living. How ridiculous, brother, sister, how ridiculous for us to think that without a specific answer to a prayer or a certain person in our life or a certain position or achievement that we've mapped out in our minds that life wouldn't be worth living. How does God respond? In verse 11, God calls Jonah back to the mission. He says, should I not pity Nineveh? 
God may send good things into your life. He may send friends and family and money and ministry and position and plenty and success. And those things can be very gratifying, but they are not the purpose of your existence. Because if you attach your relationship with God to all those things, God may appoint a worm and a wind to show you that your motives matter more than your stuff. Your family cannot be your whole world. Your ministry cannot be your whole world. Your job cannot be your whatever you put in that blank. Cannot be your whole world. It also can't be how you base your view of God on. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God was pleased to spend Jonah for his glory and his honor so that others might know that he was the king of glory. Praise the Lord. God was pleased to let Jonah be miserable as a prophet so that the Ninevites might know there's a God in Israel. And God is pleased to invite you and me, brother or sister, on the journey for his glory and his honor. This amazing God will bless us and he will provide for us. But he's doing that. Because his means and his ends are not our prosperity or even our pleasure. They are for his glory among the nations. Don't be a Jonah. He didn't start well. He didn't execute well. He didn't finish well. God used him. God can use you. But wouldn't it be great if he didn't have to work in spite of us? Two words that don't go together, no and Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we hear you say, should you not pity Nineveh? You have a heart for the whole world. Your intention is for us to have that same heart, God. And you'll use whatever means brings you pleasure and glory to bring it about, Lord. Storms in our life can be for your glory. Provision, yes. Trials also. Lord, we, we see should you not pity Nineveh and we ask ourselves, should, should we not pity India, Juarez, West Africa, Hong Kong, Tanzania, Brazil, Charlotte, our neighborhoods? It makes so much sense that you, the missionary God, would send us on mission. Help us to have hearts that are moldable in your hands. Wills that surrender to yours, priorities that match yours as we get into the word so the word can get into us. Lord, we love you and we cry out that you and you alone are worth it. Salvation belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.